Well, good morning and welcome, everyone. Today we're going to start on a learning adventure over the next several weeks together that I hope and I pray and I've been praying and want to continue to pray will truly open our spiritual eyes to see and understand the mystery God. Over the next several weeks, I want us to ask and answer many of the following questions, like, for instance, just who is this mystery God? And why do I refer to him as the mystery God? Can he be seen? Can he be felt? Where is he? Is he a real, equal part of the Trinity? If so, what is his purpose? What role does he play? Does he actually dwell in the hearts of men and women? And can we interact with him? For too many believers, the Christian life boils down to simply doing the best we can, kind of just trying to make it through life. There's no real power or distinction that sets our lives apart from those living around us in the world. So often, the good that can be attributed to our lives comes from our own discipline, our own determination and devotion to God, rather than His activity in our lives. Many believers' doctrine can be summed up like this. First, well, nobody's perfect. And number two, God understands. For many believers, life is one long string of joys and sorrows with a distant promise of heaven at the end. You with me so far? Any of this sound familiar? There's a a huge chasm between what we sing about on Sunday morning and what actually happens in our lives Monday through Saturday. We're told that we should be having a meaningful relationship with God, but our our lives often seem void of the Father's influence. I mean, after all, life must go on. There are bills to pay. There are problems to solve and overcome. And and we talk about God helping us. But what does that even mean? So much of the time, our Monday through Saturday life principles resemble the famous quote by Mr. Ben Franklin. God helps those who help themselves. Ah. Well, Ben Franklin seemed to think so, and this has been quoted so many times in church that there's a lot of it's in the Bible. Let me share what's in the Bible. Actually, the sum of Scripture tells us God helps those who acknowledge they can't help themselves. Amen? Now, I'm going to preach to you this morning because the Lord has just laid this on my heart. And I'm doing this in love because we need it. Let's take a view from the pulpit for a minute. All of what I, we've been discussing here just in these few minutes is a source of frustration to me as a pastor. And let me explain. 
to share God's truth with people with the hopes of them grasping it and integrating it or applying it into their lives is often a double-edged sword to me and to many pastors. See, it is absolutely thrilling to me when I see people listening to God's word, then allowing him to influence them and affect their lives in powerful ways. That is pure joy. But on the other hand, it's just as frustrating to see people listen to God's word and even take notes, but not apply what they hear. That's my big problem in pastoring in America, is the apathy of American people. And how I know it looks different is when I've gone to the foreign mission field. And there's a hunger for God's word. They sit on a wooden bench and they'll listen to God's word for two, three, four hours because they're hungry for God. They want to know him. Dr. Charles Stanley said, and I quote, evangelical America tends to be note rich and application poor. That is why there's little difference between many Christians and their lost neighbors. Or could I be so bold as to say between many of us and our lost neighbors? Scripture tells us that our neighbors will know we are Christians by our love. John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So if we have trouble loving each other, and don't you know that happens in church? We have trouble loving each other. How will we ever be able to love lost people? You know that you and I, maybe the only Jesus many people will ever see or know? Well, that being the case, could it be no wonder that Many non-Christians want nothing to do with the Savior of the church. Come on now. You know, many of these followers have seen Christians in action. Many of these lost people have seen followers of Jesus Christ in action. That's what I really mean to say here. Now, you might say, whoa, Pastor, whoa. You're being kind of hard on us this morning. Maybe so. But what I'm doing this morning is I'm laying the groundwork and exposing the reason or reasons for us to become intimately aware of our need of God's influence in our lives. And that influence comes purely from the blessed Holy Spirit, the mystery God. Well, now, how about a view from the pew? Many people believe that it is the pastor's responsibility to bring people into the church as well as to the kingdom of God. That's your job. That's what we pay you for. Nothing could be further from the truth based on Scripture. Looking at the Scripture that Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, he said, and he, who's he? God's Spirit gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. See, God's primary method 
of reaching non-believers is not through sermons. It's through people. It's through Christians whose lifestyles are empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit. Now, don't shut me off. Please don't turn. It's, been all, it's awful quiet. Everybody okay? All right. You with me? Good. I, I, oh, good. That's good. I just want to let, t- t- tell you from the very bottom of my heart, I love every one of you. And that's why I'm preaching God's word this morning. And trust me. I've struggled with this before I've shared it. Statistics have proven over and over about 85%, upwards of 85% of all believers came to Jesus through a friend or a family member. How many of you would say, I came to know Jesus through a friend or a family member? Now, you may have heard about him in church, but you got to church and you came to church because of a friend or family member. Okay, that's a lot of us. I am concerned for those who have prayed us a salvation prayer in the past and somehow have reached this terrible and erroneous conclusion that Christianity doesn't work. Ever heard anybody say that? Christianity doesn't work. I tried it. Or I'm also concerned for believers who have not yet given up, but their lives are characterized by defeat and discouragement. My heart hurts for men and women who are simply going through the motions, going to church, reading their Bibles, saying their prayers, confessing their sins, but who never enjoy an intensely personal, wonderfully intimate, and a fulfilling relationship with the living God. It's often called Christian duty. Let me give you just a few examples. For instance, a Christian couple who experiences everything but the Spirit of God in their marriage. Oh, and then their children can only come to the conclusion about the viability of Christianity based on what they see demonstrated in their parents' lives. Teenagers college students, and single people who believe that, well, maybe once I get out of school or I get married or mature more, the things will get easier. How many of you know that to be uh, an untruth? It doesn't get easier. In fact, sometimes we can see that there's more at stake. In our Sunday night study, Francis Chan says, when I was just me, God could say, Francis, I want you to go anywhere, anytime. He go, no problem, it's just me. But then Francis got married, and it was Francis and his wife. And then he had one child, and then two children, three children, four children. And he said, it became harder for me to say, anywhere, anytime, God, because it wasn't just me and God anymore. So it doesn't, it doesn't get easier based on those kinds of choices. Here, here's the bottom line. Growing up, graduating, getting married, none of these good things will ever serve as the key to the abundant life that we all long for. Oh, they're all good, and they're temporary blessings. And I'm, trust me, I'm not saying we shouldn't be 
but they're not going to give you the abundant life that God wants for us. They won't. So Jesus gave a necessary promise. He said, there's hope. Jesus made a promise at a time when his closest followers were about to give up hope. These are the men who'd walked with him for three years, who'd seen him die. Now he's alive, and they've got, man, we got some plans. I believe we're going to start the kingdom building now. He said, no. He says, I'm about to leave you. Listen to what he said in John chapter 14, verse 16 through 18. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Notice that capital H. He's speaking of somebody important. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. Now he identifies who he is. He's the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. The mystery God. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Well, if we don't get anything else this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, I want you to leave here knowing you're possessed. Hello. Because the Holy Spirit lives in you and he owns you. Hello. All right. That's what that word possessed means. That's a good possession. Look what he says. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I, the Trinity, will come to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And not too many days later, he returned to his Father in heaven. Now, this must have been a very confusing time for his disciples. They must have felt like bewildered, abandoned orphans. Because they've walked. Their whole faith belief system right now is based on this Christ who died, but is raised again. And he's, he's just left us. But he didn't leave us without a warning and without a promise. Their shepherd was gone, but before he left, he promised them the greatest gift ever. The Holy Spirit's, the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit. That's, that was his promise to them. You see, if the Christian life were simply a matter of doing our best, there would be no need for God to send the Holy Spirit to help us. And don't you know God knows? In fact, God knows everything that's ever happened in your life, and he knows everything that's ever going to happen in your life and mine and the other 7 billion people on earth right now. He knows it. And he knows that we're going to need help. He knew it back then, and he knows it now. And he said, I'm going to send the greatest gift ever. But see, if we've done our best, our best is our best, you know. How can we improve on our best? I'm glad you asked. How can we improve on our best? Well, Jesus told them and tells us that God is looking for more than our best. He said, as a matter of fact, this is harsh. Jesus said, your righteousness is as filthy rags to me. Now, that's pretty harsh. But that's what he was trying to tell us. Our best is not good enough, nor will it ever be good enough. He 
was and is looking for a lifestyle for you and me and an attitude that supersedes what we could do. Here's what he said in John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. The helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. You see, the one thing about Jesus when he was on earth, even though he was all God and all man, because he was all man too, he could only be one place at one time. Oh, he could walk on the water. And I think, I think he could actually transport, but I don't know that, I don't see that in Scripture. But he could only be one place at one time because he had this. Okay, you with me? But God's Holy Spirit is not limited to one place, one time. David, the psalmist says, if I was to go to Haiti or to hell, his spirit will be there. If I was to rise to the highest heaven, his spirit will be there. There is no place that God's spirit cannot be and is. You know, I said this Wednesday night, and and I'm a picture learner, so I'm trying to share with us, do you realize that God the Father never, in Scripture, never leaves his throne? We, we can tell that by Scripture because he said he's, he's on the throne and he's being worshipped 24-7. Okay? Scripture also tells us that we know where Jesus is. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. So we, we can be able to keep track of those two. It's this third mystery God that we don't often know where he's at or what he sounds like or what he's up to. Or what is his capability? I'd like to preach all my sermons today, but I'd be preaching to myself because I know about two or three you'd all be gone. No, I'm just kidding. I can't wait week after week to break this down so we can actually leave here with confidence going, I know in whom I have believed. How did, how did Paul the Apostle know in whom he had believed? Well, he had spoken with Jesus, but he walked and talked with the Holy Spirit of God. And that's how he knew God. Think about this. If we don't need help, why send a helper? God doesn't make mistakes. See, the quality of life Jesus expects for you, his followers, is unattainable apart from the Holy Spirit's invention, intervention. Let me say that again. This is very important for us to understand. The quality of life, the abundant life that Jesus expects his followers to enjoy is unattainable apart from the Holy Spirit's intervention. The Christian life is not simply difficult. It's not something that gets easier with time. It is absolutely unattainable. You can't do it on your own. Here's a very important truth that I want you to know this morning because part of this should relieve your guilt and part of it should redirect you. Here we go. It is not your fault that you can't live the abundant life Jesus expects. 
Glad to know that. I mean, that should, that should give some of us some relief from this guilt. But trying to live for you, Jesus, it's not your fault that you can't live the abundant life. Here it is. It is your fault if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to help you. I just want that to sink in for a minute. I'm not guilty because I can't live the Christian life on my own. I'm guilty if I know how and I deny him. If there ever was a group of people that should have been able to live a consistent Christian life, you think it would have been this group of apostles. I mean, they were trained by the master. They walked and talked with the best teacher ever. God incarnate, Jesus Christ. They walked and talked. They got personal tutoring from the best teacher ever. They saw lame people healed. They had seen blind people get their sight. They had even seen a dead man come out of the grave. They had seen countless miracles. No one had more evidence or could have been more convinced than them. Yet, in their last encounter with their Savior, he let them know that they were missing something or someone. And here's what he told them. It's recorded in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, and then 8. And while staying with them, this is after he rose, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you will receive power. That's what we're missing on our own. We will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and Davenport and Haines City and Florida to the end of the world, the end of the earth. We will receive the power. No wonder our lives are characterized by defeat rather than victory, sorrow rather than joy, and frustration rather than peace. Apart from the helper, life is reduced to simply doing the best we can. Are you really ready to settle for that? I'm not. I am not ready to settle for just doing my best. I've done that for many years, and it's not been very profitable. And it certainly has brought a lot of frustration and exhaustion into my life. Why can't I see God-sized things done? Because I've been trying to do them on my own. And I'm not God, nor will I ever be. Anybody else? Yeah, yeah, amen, amen. It is a day-to-day, moment-to-moment walk with the Master. So what is, what is standing in our way? What is standing in our way? What is standing in your way? Well, I believe there's two primary reasons so many Christians have failed to take advantage of the help afforded by the helper. Number one. 
many preachers neither model the spirit life nor teach about it. I've been a a child of the king about 47 years. I have yet, and I've been in church a lot, I have yet to ever hear a series of messages preached about the Holy Spirit. Who here has ever sat in and heard a series? I've heard messages. I've heard parts, parts and pieces. How many here can say I've, I've actually sat under good a, a, a message, a series of messages about the Holy Spirit? Did you learn anything new? You bet. And I was trying to think of how... How have I come to the understanding that I have so far? Well, it's because of God's grace and mercy, but I learned a little here, and then I learned some more here. A lot of it I learned by trial and error. And, and as I'm, I'm growing towards Christ, I'm learning more and more about his spirit and how essential he is in my life and how he needs to be essential in the life of us believers. See, what comes from the pulpit week after week is just, Do the best you can. God will understand. The pulpits in America reek with that. How tragic. No so many churches are powerless and dead. We shouldn't be surprised that the majority of the churches in this country go for months at a time without a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. When pastors operate in their own power, they have no choice but to transfer to their people an incomplete and inadequate model of the Christian life. God forgive us. Pastors who are walking in the Spirit don't use the pulpit to entertain and comfort their people. You still love me? (laughs) Dr. Stanley calls those sermons sermonettes for Christianettes. I love Dr. Stanley. He's my favorite pastor, preacher. Pastors who are walking in the Spirit equip and challenge their congregations to do the work of the ministry. If you come out of church this morning feeling like somebody spoke to you, he did. Not me. The Holy Spirit. We're talking about him and his, and his love and his interaction and his, his desire is God's desire to use you, to walk and talk with you like he did with Adam and Eve before they sinned. We can have that fellowship now. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven. Amen? Well, I'm glad I need his fellowship. Look around. This world is not our home. It's not a good place to live. And so... There's that warning. I'm telling you, that's the presidential warning. (laughs) Sometimes I wish we'd get that little thing going, oh, that's Jesus coming. Get ready. Grab a sinner under each arm and go, I'm bringing you up. And about halfway, you either get right or I'll let you go. All right, I'm back. Well, that was the first reason. A second reason why so many Christians miss out on this spirit-filled life begins actually very early in their Christian walk. See, generally when people get saved, an excitement about their newfound lives is demonstrated by a whole lot of activity. I don't know about you, but I remember when I got saved. First of all, I joined a Baptist church, which absolutely blew my mind. Because they preach the Word of God, you get saved and you stay saved. How cool is that? 
Because up to then, I thought, well, you get saved, and then you're lost, and you don't know. Okay? So I had no faith in, in that. But when I got saved, I remember, and Jerry can vouch for this, I volunteered for every possible opportunity to serve my Lord in church. And sometimes I made the fatal mistake or almost fatal mistake of volunteering my wife, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the quiet one in the family. But I was so excited. And my, my, uh, my mentor in Christ, his name was Jerry, too. He was my boss. He was the captain of our ship. He's the one that told me that Baptist Church had spirit-filled people. And I'm going, really? And uh, I, I came to church, and he said, hey, how'd you like to help me in ministry? I said, Name it. Yeah, I am so glad that my closet is clean, my sins are forgiven, and I'm bound for heaven, and I don't have to lie about anything. I don't have to remember what I told anybody because I can speak the truth now. What do you want me to do? He said, well, let's, let's hook you up with a, a bus, and we'll go out in the ghettos of Fort Lauderdale, and we'll pick up little kids, and we'll bring them to church and teach them about Jesus. Yeah, and I said, I'm in. And I'm going to tell you, those buses were a little scary. I was telling Tony the other day, I pulled out on the main thoroughfare out of church one, one day with a load of kids, and my brakes went to the floor. So thank God the Spirit told me, pull the emergency brake. We backed into the parking lot and got a different bus. We were bringing in almost 200 kids a week. And what was so neat about it was on Saturday morning, we would get together, and we'd go out in pairs, and we'd visit these kids and try to visit their families. Now, for a lot of folks, they say, well, that was simply a babysitting service. Yeah, it was, but these kids were hearing about Jesus. And guess what else? That just made me an automatic shoe-in for children's church. For the first year of my Christian walk, I was in children's church every Sunday morning. You know why? Because I knew all the Bible stories. I was so happy. So happy. Oh, and then I had this brainstorm. You know, they, we used to have this thing called church training. And that was at like at 5 o'clock. And it would be a, like a small group for all the different age groups. So I volunteered Jerry and I to teach 7th grade church training. I love them, but that was not a good experience. And then I went a, uh, at another church and I volunteered. I said, you know, these kids really need to learn music. They're not getting a chance to do this in school. Honey, you read music. You can teach them music. You teach them music, and I'll be the sheriff. Well, I was a lot busier than she was. Those kids didn't want it. But my point was, I was so excited about being right with God that I would serve and do anything or everything anybody would tell me. And guess what happened? Got in trouble, got burned out. You know why? Because the energy source of new believers is usually our human strength. We don't know any better yet. We're just excited about being forgiven. You know, the joy that accompanies salvation and restoration, I believe Paul the Apostle called it our first love. See, I was serving, but I wasn't being fed. But eventually... I ran out of steam and got burned out. But oftentimes, this group right here is determined not to regress. So they dig in, and guess what? They continue on in their walk, doing the best they can. You with me? Boy, I'm telling you, I know I'm speaking to some of you this morning because you've been through this. 
You've worked and you've served and you worked and you served. And somebody let you down. Well, it wasn't Jesus, by the way. <laughs> so who are we serving? People or are we serving Jesus? Because if we serve Jesus, he will never let us down. Now, we serve people, you can count on it. Here's some things that I want you to think about. I have been thinking about them. So here it is. Ponder this. Is there a big difference between what you experienced as a new believer and what you are now experiencing? Do you believe that you've spent too much time just trying to make it? I visited Dottie this morning, Dottie Van Arsdale. Some of you may not know her, but she served as a pastor's wife for 40-some years. She was a school teacher for longer than that. We were talking about the joys of ministry and the not-so-joys of ministry. We've talked about people that we've known through our lives in the ministry, and, and some were just heartbroken when they moved away, and then, and then there were others. <laughs> That we weren't so heartbroken. Because ministry's hard. Working for Jesus can be hard. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be tested. You're going to be tried. Why wouldn't we if he was? Jesus was. What makes you different from your friends who are unbelievers? Maybe... We go home today, if you, if, you, if you really want to take this serious, I would challenge you to just go home and say, all right, there's that question. What makes me different from my friends that are unbelievers? And if you tell me you don't have any friends that are unbelievers, then you better get out in the world. I didn't say be of the world. I said in the world. Jesus said to be in the world, not of the world. If we don't have any friends that are unbelievers, how can we win anybody to Jesus Christ? But I, I would challenge you to say, okay, what, what makes me different from friends who aren't believers? Or what can you attribute this morning to the power of the Holy Spirit in your life right now? What attribute? What can you attribute to Him being in your life? These are things we need to think about. And if you want some help, you could say, Holy Spirit, show me. Show me. I want to know. If someone asked you this morning, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What would you say? How would you explain that? See, there's, there's, there's two distant beliefs and teachings on this. One, we've got a group over here, which I grew up in, that are dancing and prancing and rolling and carrying on and jibber-jabbering, and service is totally confusing. And if you don't have that, you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life. And then you have this other group that I've been affiliated with a little bit that says, the Holy Spirit, i got to be careful because I don't want to look like them. So I'm just not going to raise my hand and praise the Lord like I feel like I should. We call them the frozen chosen. I love you, Jesus. I hope you see it because I don't really want anybody else to think I'm a nut. There is a happy medium. I love Dr. White when he used to be here. He said, life is like a, a train trestle. There's two rails, and we need to keep the wheels on both of them. 
we have a tendency sometimes to do one or the other. And before this series is over, we're going to learn how to worship. Amen? I hope, I, I know I was worshiping this morning. I love that last song we did. Just absolutely love it. Well, in the last 20, 25 minutes, I think we have built a compelling case against the church for trying to be the church in its own strength. We need God's spirit to help us grow, to help us live, to help us love, to help us share the gospel with the lost world around it. We need this. One of the first steps to recovery is to realize we got a problem. Any of you ever, ever, this is going to be revealing. (laughs) Thank you. She already knows what I'm going to say. Any ever been to a Alcoholics Anonymous? Yes. Yes. Yeah. We start that and say, I'm Paul Vanderkay and I'm an alcoholic. That's how you start it. That's how, before you say anything else, you say why you're there. Because I got a problem. And I got to tell you this morning, I'm going to be the first to admit and raise my hand. I'm Paul Vanderkay, and I like to try to make it on my own. And I got to tell you, all the way to my soul, I'm tired of it. I look at the, the apostles in the book of Acts that we just studied. I thought, I want to be like that. But I got to listen. I got to listen to what he's telling me, and I got to do what he says. For some reason, I seem to think God's out for me. You know, I shared with you before, God will be a missionary, but I don't want to go to New York City or Africa. Like that was his intention. Well, that's exactly where you're going. No. He just want me to be willing. He wants what's best for us. He's a loving father. This is a statement that I want to make, and I want you to hear this. The Holy Spirit of God is God. He is not God's errand boy. You'll hear that out on television. It's a very popular preacher that presents the Holy Spirit as God's errand boy. That's incorrect. God stays on his throne, but his spirit is everywhere. So the Holy Spirit of God is God, and he is God the Father's greatest gift to you and I as a believer. The greatest gift. See, I love this. The more I've explored it, the more I'm beginning to get attuned to it. We say, well, I think the greatest gift that he's ever given me is salvation. Absolutely, because that affects your eternity. But the next greatest gift that he gives us is his grace and his Holy Spirit in our life today. But it's of no value unless we take it and apply it. Just like salvation. The salvation has been paid for by Jesus' sacrifice for everyone. But if we don't take it, it's of no value. The same thing with his grace today. The walk and talk with the Holy Spirit. You want a good friend. How many of you would like to have a good friend? Absolutely, every one of us want to have a good friend. Well, I've got some good friends. Well, he's the best. I've got some good friends that have given me some advice that I want. But I can honestly tell you, and you know it to be true, the Holy Spirit has never given us bad counsel. He will always give us 
counsel that brings glory to the Father. Because God is perfect. He needs to be worshipped. He needs to be praised. And what's God's will for our life? To know him. Well, we've got to keep reviewing, Tony. You say, I want to know what God's will is for my life. His will for your life and every, every other human being is to know him. His purpose is to bring him glory. So really, it's all about God, isn't it? It's not about you. It's not about me. We're so spoiled in America, it's pitiful. I went camping for a couple of days this week, and when I got home, boy, I'm going to tell you, my kitchen looked a lot bigger. My house was a lot cooler, and I came home appreciating it a lot more. We've got everything going for us except the Holy Spirit. He's there. He's willing. He's ready. And, oh, by the way, when you got saved, you didn't get a down payment. (laughs) Come on now. You got all of him. What's happening as we listen to him, he's getting all of us. Big difference. Big difference. It's kind of the way it works in marriage, too. When she walked on that, she came in that back door, most beautiful creature God's ever made. And I thought, I'm so lucky to have her. And at points, I've thought she's really lucky to have me. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm blessed to have her. In March, it'll be 45 years. We've grown together. And you know what that is? I've said this before. Luck's got nothing to do with it. Don't kid yourself. It's listening and sharing and taking and changing. And that is exactly the way the Holy Spirit's relationship works in our life. He whispers to us and we listen. And the more we listen, he said, my sheep... Know my voice. See, I got Janetta on the phone the other day. Now, I've known Janetta just long enough that I can tell Janetta when she answers the phone. I go, is this Janetta? She said, hi, Janetta. I recognized her voice. I'm so familiar with my wife that she doesn't even have to speak. She can just look. That's how familiar. And I just, I want us to begin to say, okay, Is this a possibility? Is this mystery God, if he's in me, then I want to get him to know him better because I know he knows me. The Holy Spirit of God is God. He is God, the Father's greatest gift to us. He's the one who opened our understanding or opens our understanding of God's word and his gracious offer of salvation. If he doesn't open your mind, you cannot understand it. He's also the one who draws us to the Father. It says the Father draws us. And if he doesn't, then we can't come. Well, who's he talking about? The Father's Spirit draws us. He's also the one who then enters our life upon salvation forever. I'm glad about that. Because before I understood that, I'm trying to figure out what sin do I commit where I lose my salvation? And which one's bad enough? And am I saved now or am I lost? That's a terrible way to live. Yeah. And he's the one who comforts us 
Ever been comforted by the Holy Spirit? Oh, he can love you like nobody can love you. He comforts us. He guides us. He corrects us. He strengthens us to become more like Jesus every day. The next time you're in the cafe, I want you to look up at our our vision statement. The Holy Spirit is the one who moves people toward Christ. So in closing this morning, I ask you, do you know him? Do you know the Holy Spirit? You say, well, I know about him. Okay, that's a start. But do you know him? Do you recognize his voice when he speaks to you? You see, sometimes you say, would you pray with me? Because I think I know what I'm supposed to do. But I just want to make sure it's, it's not me, it's him. We're going to talk about some of the, the guidelines that he will give you. I can always tell you to bring glory to God, and it won't be in contradiction to the word of God. Have you accessed his power in your life? Better yet, do you want to access his power in your life? There is nothing too hard for God. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you and speak to you only because of the Holy Spirit that's in our life. He knows what we're to say. He knows what you love because he is you. And he directs us to you because you love us so much that you gave Jesus Christ to die for us. That's how much you love us. And you sent your Holy Spirit into our lives when we accepted that salvation to take us places where we can't go on our own. That is into your very presence. It's to know your heart, to know your mind, to know your purposes, to know your plan your wisdom. These are all available to us through your spirit in our life. Father, we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of the potential the Holy Spirit has in our lives if we will submit to him. But there's things that are standing in our way, Lord, and I know that you've been talking to me about them. It's like so often you're speaking to us and we don't recognize it's you. have a little trouble with the trust or we have a, a bigger problem with uh, control. So, Lord, I pray that through the power of your spirit in each of our lives, you will begin to, to school us. Give us that personal schooling. You know right where we're at. You know what we need most. And I, my prayer is starting with every one of us who are a, a believer, who have asked Christ to come in our life, then we know, according to your word, your spirit is in our, our lives. All of you is in us. And Father, my prayer for people and myself is that we will give you control of our whole lives. And God, what would happen? Well, we've seen and read a little bit about it. What could happen 
if God really got a hold of us. My prayer, Lord, is over the next several weeks, starting today, that you will open our spiritual eyes to see things that we've never seen before and to go places where we've never gone before with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Next week we will be exploring the Holy Spirit as God's greatest gift to us as his children and why he's qualified to be 